If I were to put the things that stress me out the most, it would almost always, probably exclusively be about things that are future focused. Is if you look at your worries and your fears and the things that you stress out about, it is always things that are going to happen in the future, things that are unknown, things that you wish that you had the answer to. And so for this last season of my life, um, and, and by that I mean probably the last six months to a year, it has been, and I've shared this before, it's probably been one of the best and worst years of my life. I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. In different arenas of my life, I've seen things go extremely well and what I feel to be extremely poor. And, um, and one of the reasons why I think it is going so poorly is not just because of what has happened, but because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Because if I knew what the end result was going to be, I think that I would feel a lot more at peace with my current circumstances. In fact, um, we are so uh, uneasy with not knowing what the future is that there has been studies that say that you would rather um, knowingly just be shocked than possibly being shocked in the future. So you can imagine an experiment in which you're sitting there and they're, and they're going, okay, we may or may not shock you. The anxiety is worse than actually being shocked. And so you would just rather have the shock and be done with it than possibly getting shocked in the future because there is something torturous about not knowing what is going to happen in the future. And so tonight I wanna to talk a little bit about that. And there's a verse in the book of Romans, and if you don't know what the book of Romans is, uh, Romans is a letter written by this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he has this pretty dramatic experience where his name was Saul, and he used to go and persecute Christians. He'd kill them, and then Jesus comes to him and goes, whoa, why are you doing that? Knocks him on his butt and says, you need to follow me, and so he becomes Paul, and he writes a bunch of letters to churches that he has planted around the Mediterranean Rim, and so one of these letters is to the church in Rome, a place that he's never visited before, and in this book, <clears throat> he gives just, just mind-boggling theology. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all stories of Jesus' life, death, ministry, uh, resurrection. And then Paul comes along and he kind of says, okay, now here's what these mean. Here's the theological significance of Jesus' life and what he's saying and what this all, uh, kind of how this all plays out. And so he talks about, in Romans 8, um, how we as Christians are supposed to deal with suffering. We're supposed to deal with the unknown when we don't know how things are going to turn out. And for me, in the season that I've kind of been in, um, <clears throat> I find it comforting. In fact, the word that I want you to remember tonight, and it's probably not a word that you use very often, it's sort of a Bible word, and it's assurance. Assurance. That's the word that I want you to grasp onto tonight, because assurance is this thing that allows us to live in this tension. So no one is going to know the future. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to be privy to the future. Either am I. And so we have to live in the tension of not knowing what the future is going to look like and yet still being at peace with that, right? Because there's a lot of people who don't know the future and yet are anxious about it, are fearful about it. But we have to live in this place in which we don't know the future and yet we are still sure that it's going to turn out well. And it's not just this hope for hope's sake. So on a Friday night, and this is how lame um, my life is. It's not lame, but like how un not exciting it is. Whatever. Uh, Friday night, after the kids finally get to bed, you know what I did is I ended up watching, and I was super excited. I've been waiting all day for this. I ended up watching a debate by uh, my, famous, uh, my, fa my favorite philosopher, William Lane Craig, and this guy named Jordan Peterson, who's kind of become famous lately, and this woman who um, is an, an atheist, and they were debating, is there meaning in life? 
And I was just so, I just, whoo, kids, like get to bed. I have this very, I'm very excited about this. And so I, I watched this whole thing. And what I noticed about these very educated people, two of which were uh, agnostic and atheist, that they had this belief that things were just going to turn out okay in their world. And you probably have heard your friends say this. Maybe you even said this yourself. Things like things will work out or it just wasn't meant to be or it was meant to be or the stars aligned or we have this intuitive belief that things are going to work out in the end. But what I've realized listening to these debates and listening to other people who are non-believers is you have no reason to think that. You have absolutely no reason to think that your future is bright. Now, this is depressing, okay? I, I get it, but it is, it's meant to be depressing because we are just tiny little ants on this speck of a blue planet in a vast universe that means nothing and will eventually burn up in the heat death of the universe. That should make you sleep well at night, right? Because... All of us are going to die, and there's going to be no one to remember, and it's all just a random uh, chance that we're here in the first place. So to think that things are going to work out in our favor if there is no God, or at least a God that is actively involved in our lives, um, we have no reason to think that things are going to work out. And so in the midst of where I'm at in this season, and I think about, man, I don't know what the future is going to look like, my hope is in that there, there is a God, and he is in control, and he is going to work out things um, for my good. In fact, that's what Paul has to say in Romans 8, 28. He says this, he says, and we know that in all things, God works uh, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The scripture gives us this worldview that says things will be okay if you trust in the creator. It's not just this blind faith that we hope the stars will align and things are going to work out in the end for us. This is, no, there is a creator, and if you put your trust in him, then he will work out even the circumstances in which you can't see how anything good could come from them. Now, immediately, their question pops into people's minds, which is, well, when these things happen, these tragedies or even just these uncomfortable moments in our life, um, is God causing those things? Does God make those things? Well, no, that's not what it says here. What it says here is that God works out all, the, all of these things for good, but it doesn't mean that he has caused those things. It means that we are free, we are making our own decisions, we live in a world that has free choice and we can make good or bad decisions, but it does say that even if we or other people around us, we do mess up, God can still use that. Now, we're gonna flesh that out in a minute, but let me tell you uh, what this doesn't mean is this doesn't mean that God is going to give us this, like, um, this perfect life, that he's going to change our circumstances for the better, that if we follow him, that means we're going to be wealthy and we're going to be healthy and we're going to be wise and we're going to have a hot husband or wife one day and these beautiful little kids. I mean, it's worked out for me, but I'm not guaranteeing it's going to work out for you. Um, but, but it's not talking about our circumstances because the truth is that everybody under the sun is going to experience life and death, good and evil. It's going to have seasons of prosperity and, and others of despair. And so it's not talking about all your life is going to be great and there's going to be these incredible circumstances. It's giving us a, something deeper than that. It's giving us something deeper than just a better life. And I think to understand this, um, we have to we have to understand God's perspective a little bit better, or at least understand that we don't have God's perspective. Because a lot of the things in our life um, don't seem to be, uh, don't, 
it doesn't seem like they're going to work out, like it's going to be okay. So the illustration that I constantly give is with my kids, and, and you don't have kids probably, but I have enough for all of us. And so my kids, um, they don't have the same perspective that I have. It is a constant battle between me trying to give them my perspective and then their perspective and then the battle between who's right. So I can give you a thousand examples. Last night, um, they were playing on the stairs, the two older ones, and one of them was going to fall on their face, in which they did. Uh, they cry. I have to comfort them and then also tell them, I told you so, which is kind of my favorite part. And so it's this constant battle between going, I see something that you don't see. I see that there is going to be pain ahead if you don't listen to me. I see that you're about to get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't listen to me. And yet from their perspective, they're going, dad, you don't get it. Do you see how much fun this is going to be if I participate right now? Uh, one of the things that they love to do is um, they've, they've both learned how to do somersaults. And so they have found... Uh, Amy and I's bedroom, and they said, this is a great place to do gymnastics. And so they're constantly doing somersaults and the cutscene. And then, of course, one kicks the other in the face, and it's this whole disaster. And I'm going, look, I saw that coming. I could have told you this was going to, wait, no, I did tell you this was going to happen, and you should have listened. Now, I think that that's how God feels about us sometimes, is he looks at us and he goes, look, you don't have the same perspective that I have. Is to you this looks like a lot of fun. Or to you, this looks like a circumstance in which you can't see good coming out of it. And yet from my perspective, I see the beginning from the end. I see what can happen. I see what's going to happen. And it, there's so many biblical examples of this. If you look at characters like Joseph in the Old Testament, you remember him, he had the coat and he's styling and it's lots of colors. Okay, what happens with him is he is sold into slavery by his brothers. He's thrown into prison for something he didn't do. Um, he becomes eventually uh, the second in command, kind of like the governor, because God gives him these dreams or he's able to interpret other people's dreams and he has dreams himself and he foresees the future of what's gonna happen and there's gonna be a famine and eventually the story kind of ends in this meeting face-to-face -face with his brothers who betrayed him and tried to kill him. And, uh, and now him in this uh, this position of prominence. And he says something really interesting in that meeting. Because if it were me in that meeting and it were my brothers who tried to kill me and thought that I was dead and I'm seeing face to face and I can do something to them, I can hurt them now, oh my gosh, I would get so creative with the pain that I would cause in, the, in their life. But here's what he says. He says in Genesis 50 uh, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so all along, if you were thinking from Joseph's perspective, a limited perspective, human perspective, if you were sitting in his place, in his shoes, you would think there is no way that this can be redeemed. This is ridiculous. The very people who are supposed to love me have betrayed me. In fact, they, they sentenced me to death. They, I can see no way out of this. And in fact, it gets worse along the way. He's sold into slavery, then he's a prisoner. And yet, from God's perspective, he's going, no, no, it's okay, I've got a plan. No, 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 yeah, you're being thrown into this prison, and yeah, you're a slave, and yeah, you've been betrayed by your family, but something's gonna happen out of this that you could have never foreseen. I'm gonna be able to do something amazing even through these trials and this uh, incredibly difficult situation. And at the very end, it's not until the end that Joseph sees it from God's perspective. It's in that moment, it's that moment that I think all of us long for, in which we don't understand, and then finally we go, oh God, I get it now. 
<laughs> I see what you were doing. It didn't make any sense. All the steps along the way were so confusing and so painful, and yet now here I sit and I get the whole picture. And I go, ah, okay, now that makes sense. I get it. See, you were able to do something far bigger than I could have ever planned because you saw something that I didn't see. So for me, um, I've been in ministry for pretty much my entire life. My, my parents are pastors, grandparents, everybody that I know is in ministry. I've been in ministry for a long time. And one of the dangers of being in ministry is this battle of cynicism that I have. Oftentimes, it's a losing battle for me in which um, you look at people and you think, what are they going to do to hurt me? What are they going to do to, to betray me? Where's the arrow going to come from from this person? And it's because if you've been around church for a while, you've been around people for a while, you know that people are going to disappoint you, in fact, in some pretty destructive ways. And so as a pastor, that's one of the struggles is trying to keep a tender heart and going, okay, you know what? Even if they did this to me, um, I, I'm still going to have a tender heart. I'm not going to be hardened. I'm not going to push other people away because what has happened. And, and my response always, whenever I am dealing with people who I believe have mistreated me or, or uh, betrayed me or done something intentional or unintentionally to harm me, my initial reaction is always my best emotion, anger. I could just get so mad. And you know what I want to do in this is, uh, look, I'm going to be real with you. You know what I want to do is whatever they did to me, I want to do to them twice as bad, right? I would just want to go, you know what? You said bad things about me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ruin your reputation, Oh, you, you wanted to go out and you wanted to, to harm my family and you wanted to say, you know what? Watch what's gonna happen to your family right now. Look, I'm being real with you, okay? This is my initial reaction is I want to do whatever they did to me twice as bad. In fact, um, I'm so good at being angry that I could make that my life mission if, if I wanted to. That's my natural inclination. That's my natural reaction. And yet the scripture says that if I do that, what ends up happening is I end up stepping outside of God's will and his blessing for my life. And so in the scripture that we read in Romans, it says that God is going to work out those things for our good, even the things that are destructive, that are painful, that he's going to somehow use that in order to take us to a place that we could never go ourselves. But what happens when we decide to take the matters into our own hands and say, you know what, God, um, I get it that you want to take me to some places, but I don't think that you can handle this situation because they really hurt me. They've really done something to, 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 to destroy my relationships and my job and my, my trust in people. And so I think I really need to go and serve justice to this person. What happens in that moment is you step outside of kind of the umbrella of God's blessing and you say, I've got it which means you're going to dole out the justice, but you're also going to miss the blessings that he wants to give in your life. And so he can't work out those things for our good if we continue to try to take control of them, if we continue to try to repay the evil deeds in our life to those people around us. He says, why don't you just trust me with the outcome, both the outcome of the person who has wronged you and your individual outcome? Because once you step out and you try to take control, you're also in control of whatever happens in your future as well. And so one of the hardest parts, and I think, um, at least for me, being a Christian, is stopping and saying, okay, God, I am not going to take control of this situation. As badly as I want to get this person, as badly as I want to fix this, as badly as I want to hurt them back, 
I can't, because if I do that, I'm stepping outside of the blessings and the plan that you have for my life. And so um, the only analogy I can think of, and again, it's kids, and I get it, you don't have kids, but yeah, you get it, okay, is, is the way that my kids, um, they fight, and what usually happens is one of them will get angry at the other one, and um, this last week we had a pretty, uh, pretty intense one where my daughter ended up making my son bleed through uh, via uppercut, okay? <laughs> it was kind of quite a mess, but uh, they're, they're going to be tough little kids. And so what my son does back is not come and say, Mom, Dad, here's what happened. I'm bleeding. Can you go and take care of this? I trust you that you will make sure that my sister is dealt with. Um, no, his reaction is I will find something and then I will beat her uh, just as badly as she just beat me, right? And so at the end of it, you know what we have to do is I have to punish both of them. Why? Because they tried to take justice in their own hands. They tried to say, you know what? I don't trust mom and dad to take care of this. I need to take care of this. And at the end, I, I, they're both in trouble now. And I think that's kind of what happens with us and God is, is someone does something to us. And instead of us going to God and going, God, I trust you to take care of this. We say, I'm going to take care of this. And God goes, now I got to discipline both of you. Now I, got, now I can't bless either of you because you decided that you were going to be in charge of the justice of your life. And see, I think that that's where a lot of us are at. And let me go off track a little bit is one of the ways that we do this is that, uh, and it's so illogical, but we do this through bitterness, is somehow we believe that we're going to pay them back by continuing to stay angry at them for the rest of our life. That I will just, ooh, through the will of my own like mind, I am going to make your life horrible because I am bitter at you. And that does absolutely nothing to them and continues to poison, poison us. Okay, here's the other thing. Is we think we, I think we get caught in this either-or dilemma. Um, that things are either good or they are bad, but they cannot be both good and bad. That when bad things happen in our life, they are exclusively bad things and it's just a tragedy and there's nothing that we can do about it. But the Bible doesn't give us this uh, dilemma. It's a false dilemma that we have. What the Bible says is it can be bad and yet it can also be something that is turned into to good. Which is also uh, the, the, the vice versa, something that is good that is turned into bad is what sin ultimately is. And, and so let me give you an example. Jesus' crucifixion is the ultimate example of something that is horrendous and yet can be good at the same time. Think about this, is if you were one of the disciples and you were watching this whole, uh, this whole crucifixion go down and you have believed and put all of your trust into this guy who says that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that has come to save you and you see him up on the cross and he is naked and he is beaten and he is bloody and he is near the end of his life you would think this is the worst thing that has ever happened. And in fact, if he really is the Messiah, that this is God in flesh, this could, this ultimately, this is the worst thing that has ever happened. There is nothing worse that can happen. A perfect man who is punished for a crime in which he did not commit. That is ultimate injustice in the world. And so if you were to look at that and it were to stop right there, you would say, this is horrible. There is nothing good that can come from this. And yet the Bible doesn't say, well, bad things are bad things and they will always be bad things. The Bible says even the worst things can be made good things. And so the worst thing that ever happened in human history ultimately becomes the best thing that has ever happened in human history because God was able to transform it. See, it's because of this death of Jesus on the cross, ultimate injustice, that we were able to be saved from our sins. 
And so he was able to turn humanity upside down through the worst thing that could ever have happened. And so if you think about what happened to Jesus on the cross and this horrible injustice that has taken place in his life, it gives us hope for our own lives. It's when we think about the people who have hurt us and who have abandoned us and rejected us and, and wounded us, we think of these as, as horrible things, in which they are, and, and the Bible doesn't um, negate those. Those are bad. They are bad things, and yet we can still have hope that those can ultimately be made into great things. Paul finishes the verse with this. He says, ultimately, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then he says in verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So it's kind of like having, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but um, have you ever had like a friend who's super tough? And when you walk around with them, you kind of have this confidence that you don't have on your, on your own. This is, this is true when I was a teenager, especially. As you walk around, you're like, yeah, that's right. Like, this is my friend. Like, I probably wouldn't mess with me either because like, he'll, he'll straight up sock you. You know, like you have this confidence that you normally don't have. It's because he's on your side or they're on your side and there's nobody who can mess with you. Well, that's sort of what Paul is saying right here is he's going, you know what? When you have God on your side, who is going to mess with you? What can they do to you? One of my favorite examples of this is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. He's a Christian apologist and thinker. And he says this, he says, um, what would you do to intimidate Lazarus, who Jesus raised him from the dead? What would you do to intimidate him? He says, uh, he says, would you say, Lazarus, I'm going to kill you if you don't do what I tell you? Lazarus' response would be, ha ha, you're going to kill me. I've been there and I've done that. I've got Jesus on my side. I'm not worried about it. How do you, how do you threaten somebody who has experienced the ultimate and overcome it? You can't. There's nothing that you can be afraid of any longer. And he continues on in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so what he's saying is, he's going, you know, if, if this story is true and Jesus came to save us and God the Father gave his only son, if he was willing to go that distance, do you think he's going to leave you where you are right now? Like, do you think if he is willing to step down into creation and die, do you think that whatever you're experiencing in this life, he's going to go, ah, oh, it's too much for me. <laughs> I can't handle it. Okay, now that's a line that's too far. I can't deal with it. No, I think it's kind of like this. It's like getting um, a, a billion dollar gift and then skimping on the wrapping paper. It's like, what? I already gave you the most incredible gift that you can imagine. You think I'm going to stop at the wrapping paper and go, look, I spent a billion, but that extra dollar fifty, I can't do it, you know? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. It's going, look, I've already given you so much. I'm not going to leave you where you are. And then in verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is, this is really good news. Because it says that not only is God for us and that he will work all things out for our good if we trust in him, but it says that nothing can separate us from him. <clears throat> Unlike other relationships that we have, there are things that can separate pretty much any relationship in this world. And yet this is the only relationship that you can never separate by something that you've done. 
He's never going to go, you know what, I, that sin is too big. I just can't deal with it. You have messed up too many times. You are too much of a failure. I am so sick of you. He's never going to say that. He's going to say, look, I have already, I've already taken care of all the mess ups that you could ever have. And so there's nothing that's going to separate us. And in that, we should find a confidence. We should find confidence in the relationship knowing that there is nothing that we can do that will ever keep him from loving us. I really think the closest thing, and one day you'll probably experience this, is, is kids. Is there is pretty much nothing that's going to separate me and my kids. Is I will always love them. Yes, there will be moments of disappointment, and there will be moments of frustration, and I have had those 12 million times a day, and yet at the end of the day, I still love them. I still love them. And you know why I love them? It's not because of what they can do for me, because they can't do anything for me. It's not because they behave or they don't behave. It's not because they're smart or they're not so smart. It's not, none of those things are going to keep me from loving them. The reason why I love them is simply because they're mine. They're my kids. Of course, I'm going to love them. And that's kind of the relationship that the Bible is trying to give us a picture of is you are his children. He is your heavenly father. There's nothing that you're going to do that is going to stop him from loving you. And the reason he loves you is because he just does. You're his kids. And that's what parents do. The other thing is that we can take away from this is that um, we can be sure that it will be worth it in the end. It says this in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so it talks about this hope in the future. When we think about the future, because we are so uh, future-focused uh, people, it can change our perspective of the now. So um, I don't know about you guys, but all right, let me give you this example. This last week, Amy and I went out on a date night. First time in months that we've got to go on a date night because no one wants to watch three kids for us. And so we finally got to go out on a date night and we went to this nice restaurant, had a great dinner. But you know what um, makes the meal even better is I know that there's going to be dessert after this. Right, like isn't there something about it when you know there's like a fantastic, okay, one of my favorite places is Nick's on 2nd in Belmont, sure, you guys have been there before. And their dessert, their meals are great, the food is so good, but they have this butter cake that is just insane, okay? It is so, if you haven't been there, you need to go there, okay? It's really good. And so while I'm eating my meal, there is extra special because I know what is coming, butter cake. I can't wait for it. It's just so good, like this, oh, it was so good because the best is still yet to come. And that's sort of the picture that the Bible wants to give us, is have you ever had a circumstance in which um, maybe you're in finals, and you think, gosh, I just don't, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I don't wanna study anymore, but then you go, ah, oh, but summer's coming, right? And so it helps you push through whatever the difficult circumstances are. Uh, we do this all the time uh, in life, is we put these goals, something afterward that we can reward ourselves with if we can just push through and make it, right? For me, it's um, gummy bears after the gym. I just down them after the gym. Just like, ah, oh, I can taste them now. Here comes the gummy bears, you know? I know, they're so good. You're like, why do you go to the gym then? Uh, so I can eat gummy bears, I guess. Um, when we are able to have something that we, are able, that we can focus on in the future, it helps us to deal with the present. And that ultimately is one of the things that's beautiful about being a Christian, is it helps us to remember that no matter what happens in this life, there's something greater to come. That the best is yet to come. It helps me deal with my current circumstances because I know ultimately that there is 
a better life waiting for me. Now, I don't think that this is uh, some ethereal kind of out there thing when I die, go to heaven. Okay, yeah, I think that's the big picture, but I think that there's also a practical uh, way to look at this as well, is that as Christians, if we trust God, that there are better days ahead of us, that we really believe that not just in, you know, in the afterlife, but in the, the here and the now, that God will work out the circumstances of our life and to, to there will be better days. Um, so when I think about some of the most difficult seasons of my life, um, I actually end up, and it takes a long time to get there oftentimes, but I actually look at those as incredible gifts from God. So let me give you a scenario that maybe is kind of right where you're at. Is you guys are all kind of in the age in which you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry and you're maybe going on some dates and you probably had some breakups in the past. And, and just think about this. Maybe you broke up with someone when you were 16 and you just think of yourself as a 16-year-old breaking up with that boy or that girl and you just being devastated. Like, oh God, they were the one. Like, oh, I'm never going to recover from this, right? And your parents are probably looking at you going like, oh gosh, it's so dramatic. You know, but, but in the moment, you think my life is over. This is the worst thing. Now, when you get to be my age and you look back on that, you think, I am so glad that that didn't work out. That would have been a disaster. In the moment, I thought this is the worst thing that could ever happen. But as I look back, God had someone far better than I could have ever imagined. And which I try to, whenever I talk to young adults and they've had a breakup or whatever, I go, look, you will look at this situation one day, and it's hard to even imagine right now because you're so heartbroken, but you will look back at this and go, I'm so glad that happened. And that's the irony of the whole thing, right? Is that we as believers, we can look back at some of the most difficult times in our life and go, I'm so glad that that happened. Why? Because I continue to trust in God and he worked it better than I would have ever done it myself. He came up with a better plan than I could have imagined, that I could have worked out. And so as I look back on those moments, I get to say, wow, it was painful, but I am so glad that I experienced that. And so um, let me give you just a couple, I'm gonna, what time is it, right? Real quick. Oh, hey, I got plenty of time. Let's keep talking. Okay. Um, here's the assurance I think that we should walk away with in, in a real practical way. And I don't think this is true of myself, and it's not true of many Christians that I know, and so maybe we can make it true of ourselves. Is because of all the assurance that we have that God is on our side and he's going to work things out and that we have something better to look forward to, three things that I think we should refuse to be is whiners, victims, and apathetic. So let's go with the first one. Christians should never be, and I'm speaking to myself here, okay? I can throw the best pity parties. It's amazing. You should come to one. Um, in which I can be a whiner and I can be bitter, and yet as Christians, we have absolutely no right to be, to be those things. I've seen people come and go out of church, and some of them have left. I would say majority of them have left out of my life for the most ridiculous reasons, Ah, the music was super loud and it hurts my eardrums. I was offended by that voice that you were doing up there. That was, that was the one I just used. Um, anyway, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, whatever. But I've heard it all. I have heard it all. And I go, hey, okay, stop being so sensitive. Seriously, the scripture says that we, we should be unoffendable for the cause of Christ. That means that you should not be a whiner anymore. 
I have seen so many people cuss out parking volunteers. It is amazing to me. And I just want to go, what the frick are you doing right now? This is crazy to me. Are you out of your mind? And we walk away bitter because we didn't get the seat that we wanted, because they didn't talk like I wanted them to, because, right? Here's, here's what I wish I could see happen is somehow create a uh, time travel machine in which you were able to take the first century Christians, who, by the way, uh, if you know anything about Christianity in the first century, they had this thing called Nero's Circus in which they would take Christians and they would throw them into a ring to fight lions where they would be shred into pieces, or they would put them on a stake alive, dip them in tar, and light them on fire as street lanterns because of their faith. And I want to bring them and then put them right here and go, okay, so let me explain to you what we're struggling with these days, okay? Um, so parking took five extra minutes today uh, until we got into this air conditioning room and they'd be like, what? And, like, and the music was kind of loud and like, uh, right? And I would just love to hear what they would have to say to us. And I'm not, just, I'm not just saying this to you, I'm saying this to me as well, because again, I can throw a great pity party. I think they would look at us and go, you're out of your mind. And these people were not whiners. These were people who were willing to die for their very beliefs in some pretty horrendous ways. And yet here we are going, well, but I didn't get my way because it's about me. Okay, I think you get that one. All right. Um, we also shouldn't be victims. And this is pretty similar to being whiners is I think they go hand in hand is, but let's look at it from maybe even a bigger scale is a lot of you guys are in school or you're in secular jobs and you think that you're being mistreated, that they look at your views and, and they misrepresent them or they think that they're naive or they can't believe that you, you, you think that way and we start to whine about it and start to become victims. Woe is me. These people are so mean to me out there. Can you believe the things that they say about us Christians? Can you believe? Who cares? Who cares? Get over it. Stop being a victim. Because you know what victims never do in life? Victims never win at anything. Have you ever seen someone be a victim and be a winner at life? Have you ever seen them just complain their way to the top? I have never seen it before. I have seen a lot of people uh, be stuck in their crap for a long time because they're victims. In fact, they never really get anywhere in life because they're victims. The only people that I've seen that have become successful in any arena of life are people that go, you know what, life is really challenging and all of us experience challenges and I'm just not gonna be a victim. I'm not gonna blame other people. I'm gonna do everything in my power to become better at what I'm doing. And this is true of faith as well, is I'm not gonna be a victim anymore. I'm just gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna do what I can do. I'm gonna trust God that he's gonna take care of it. And you know, even if people abuse me verbally, physically, whatever it may be because of my faith, which by the way, we don't have to deal with in this country, but a lot of people do, I'm gonna chalk it up as still a gain because I've got an incredible gift that's been given to me. The last one is this, is we can't be apathetic, is many of us are so comfortable in our lives that we are more concerned with who we're gonna marry, and these are important, I get this, I'm not bagging on that, but we are so concerned with who we're gonna marry and what our job is going to be and how we can be comfortable and how can, that we have become apathetic to the most important thing in the world. That we have been given this gift of salvation and we have really the answer that the rest of the world is looking for, and yet we are more concerned with how many Instagram followers we have and if we're going to land that job or we're going to get to go on that date. See, I think that if we were to step back 
And just for a moment, try to think of what would God value in my life right now? The things that we hold so dear would probably be pretty, uh, pretty minor for him. And the things that we are apathetic about, our faith, showing up, being a part of the community, sharing with other people, I think he would go, you know, those are the things that you need to be passionate about. The rest of those things, I'll work those out. If you listen and you, and you follow the instructions that I'm giving, we'll figure those things out for you. But you got to keep the main thing the main thing. And so here's the kind of the takeaway, I think, for us. Is, of course, we need to be winners. We need to be conquerors. And we need to be passionate as believers. And we have to remember that it's going to take courage and resilience. Courage and resilience is it's going to take some courage for us to step out in faith and go, okay, God, I trust you in this moment. I trust you as I've been hurt. I trust you as I'm confused about the future. I trust you because there are so many unanswered questions that I have. And so I'm going to have the courage to, instead of me trying to continue to keep control and white knuckle it and, and figure out my life and figure out how to repay these evils and figure, I'm just going to go, okay, God, I'm going to let you have it. I want you to figure it out because whatever you figure out is going to be far greater than what I can create for myself. And it's going to be really, really tough because there is a lot of moments and I have experienced this. I am in one of those right now in which I kind of go, God, are you still like doing something? Like, is this a part of the plan or have I gone off course? Am I out here by myself? Are you even up there? And God's going, you just got to stay committed. You got to stay faithful. It's going to take some courage. It's scary. You're going to feel alone sometimes. And yet I will work out all of these things in your life for your good if you continue to trust. And so whatever you might be going through, whether it's you're trying to figure out what your future job's going to be, you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, you're trying to keep the main thing, the main thing, continue to trust, continue to rely, and God's going to take you somewhere. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for um, your word that continues to challenge and yet uh, encourage us. I know that there are so many moments, and I've experienced those a lot lately, in which I go, what am I doing? <laughs> Where am I going? Why is this happening? And yet you just call us to faithfulness. You continue to call us to rely on you, to have courage in those moments when it's scary, and to submit. And so, Lord God, that is what we want to do. We want to leave our lives in your hands and those moments when we want to take control back and we want to try to figure it out ourselves and we want to uh, pretend like we know better. Lord God, we just need to release and let those go. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.